We're in a series on Sundays on wisdom, and all the, the pastors have been bringing it. Some excellent messages. I hope if you've missed any of those, you'll go back and listen uh, to those. And so um, last week, Pastor Ralph dug a little deeper on that. And as preaching team, we have kind of shared openly and given uh, the, the teaching pastors permission to, hey, if you want to dig deeper on our Sunday series on a Wednesday night, go for it. And so I just came off a three-day vacation, and I look at the calendar, and guess who's speaking tonight? <laughs> Pastor James. <laughs> wow. I wasn't ready for that, even though it had been on my calendar. And I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to, what do you want me to share? And I did have another series I was going in, and I could have just gone on to the next step in that. But just listening to the Lord, it just dropped in my heart that I need to, to stay on the wisdom course and, and dig deeper. And so I decided I would do that. And so we're emphasizing that wisdom's the principal thing. We've heard that. Pastor Ralph taught a great word on Jesus being wisdom from before the foundation of the world. And so for us, our life issues from our heart flow the issues of life. And so if we embrace wisdom, then those issues will be right when they'll flow from a place of wisdom. Our character our testimony, and our witness as believers. And I'll get to my specific topic tonight, vision. I said I was going to talk about vision. So I want to focus on this intentionality, this living on a purpose, if you will, that it takes to make sure you and I are living a compelling personal vision for our life. Because my personal vision isn't going to be the same as Pastor Ralph's or Pastor Jim's or whoever. It's, there's universal vision for the believer, and then there's what you, your vision and calling is. Are you tracking with me? So important to be intentional with that. It's not accident. You don't just stumble into it. You, if you don't have a direction to go, you're just going to go nowhere in particular, right? So we need to be creating. We need to be pursuing we need to be refining our personal vision constantly. It's not something you write and put it in a filing cabinet and never look at it again. So it needs to be refined. It needs to be constantly looked at. And so without vision, we actually aren't wise. It is unwise to not have a personal vision for your life. And I'm not calling you a fool tonight. The Bible does. The Bible calls us foolish if we don't embrace wisdom, right? So it always contrasts, God's word always contrasts wise with the foolish, and he does that for our own good. Parents, when you're raising kids, you know, you point out that, that just was a foolish decision. You're not using wisdom. So we, need, we all need to hear that. We all need to hear from, from God's word. It's foolish to not have a vision for your life. And so the source of your personal life vision, though, has to come from God's word. We can't build it from the outside in, and then find scripture to support it or whatever. So that is the heart of the message tonight, and I would really like to pray right now before I dig into to bringing this teaching tonight. So Father, Lord, I just ask that you anoint me to bring this message, that you speak through me by the power of your spirit, that there is clarity, uh, there is 
power, there is illumination, there's revelation from your word, God, that uh, the entrance of your word brings light. And so open the eyes of our understanding. Uh, Help us to really see you. Uh, We think we see you, but we have blind spots, God. So shine the light to every area. Uh, Show us something we didn't know before, God. Tonight in this message, uh, continue to Uh, teach us as we approach you as the great teacher, as we approach your word as the great teacher of wisdom and the revealer and the enforcer of vision, a compelling vision for our life. So I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I had this little picture in my head that you and I, uh, most of us drive. It's a common thing we do. Some of us don't drive. Some of us are just passengers, but we're familiar with being on roads and coming up to an intersection and the light turns red and what do you do? You stop. You know, you you learn that on your driver's, you know, test. And so you stop and then you're waiting for that light to turn green. And the light, when the light turns green, what do you do? You go. You guys are sharp tonight. You go on the green light. But did you know I could come up to an intersection, stop at the red light, go on the green light, and still be killed in a car accident at that intersection? I can obey the law. I can do what the sign said, because I saw it, but I didn't truly see what was all around me. I didn't see that I should proceed with caution and look that way and, and look that way, Because the world is full of people who are in a hurry, who are trying to make their deadline, who are rushing a pregnant mother to the hospital, who who are under the influence you don't, you do not know. But how blind would we be just to get, and it's only in a second, just not paying attention, mindlessly just go, just go. I remember the testimony, Pastor Ralph said, the Holy Spirit told you not to go one time. And so God was giving him vision warning him to not go through a stop sign because someone burned through that. So we might think, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I'm seeing the signs, but there's more to vision than that. Our 360 awareness needs to be opened up. We need to see the possibility of all these things to occur. It's not living in fear. It's wisdom that, well, this is a possibility. I'm not expecting it, but I'm going to be prepared. So I can take action if I need to stop or change course. And that's what God wants to do through the vision he gives us in the word of God. Keeping with the car analogy, we all have a blind spot in our car. It's somewhere, you know, back here under the, on the, the quarter panels in the back. And so it'd be foolish of us to just not know it's there. Because you're going to be driving and there's something in your blind spot and you have to be aware that there's a blind spot. And so it's not enough to know, yeah, I have a blind spot. Let me just go ahead and change, change lanes. I hope nothing is there. What do you do? You check. I do this little thing where I lean up and I look in my mirror at a different angle and that shows me that no one's there. Uh, you can turn your head this way, right? But you have to do something to see into your blind spot. The word of God, a vision from the word of God for our lives will light everything up. It'll show us the blind spots. We all have blind spots. 
uh, in our vision, and we need God's word and wisdom and discernment to clearly see to eliminate those blind spots. So just because I can't see my back, I've never seen it except in a mirror, but if I say if I don't see it, it doesn't exist, how dumb does that sound? I can't really, can't, I'm sure if you're a circus contortionist, maybe you could see that spot, but I can't. It's there. It is reality. And so for me to see something back there, I need to set up, you know, go into Kohl's or whatever and stand in the mirror and, wow, I can see these pants don't look great on me. I shouldn't buy these, right? So we have that ability to use something to see in our blind spot. And as silly as those examples sound, how many of us make life choices all the time that are the same? We didn't look in our blind spots. We didn't, didn't let God's word show us a clear picture of all the things we need to consider. And so we made a bad choice about where to work. We took a job we shouldn't have. We made friends that we shouldn't have made friends with. Uh, even the timing of things like when to take a vacation or, or when to get involved in a business deal, where to invest your money, your time, your talent, and on and on. And what I'm trying to get at is vision makes decisions for you. The vision you have will make a decision for you. If it's a bad vision, you're going to get a bad decision, right? And so you can really only adjust to what you see. You can't adjust to something you don't see. If, we, if we're all in the pitch dark, I mean, I don't have dolphin sonar, so I'm, I'm not avoiding anything. I'm, I'm going to walk right into it because I can't see, right? But vision will illuminate a path. It will set up a path for you to walk out. And that's the wisdom of God that he wants. So, for example, I'm training right now for a terrain race. Several people in the church are in this race, and I think it's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. But for me to prepare for this, to, to succeed at this, I need to train for it. How foolish of me to sign up for this thing and not train at all right? So I kind of need a vision. I need to see what this is going to be like. So I've studied, you know, I've looked it up. I, I, I know that it's about three miles long, so that gives me kind of a vision beforehand. I know that there's about 20 obstacles on this thing. So I'm going to be running three miles in between, tortured by things like uh, crawling through a, a tube in mud, uh, jumping over a wall, climbing over a wall, climbing up ropes, going on these hand things. And, and so I didn't just enter this blindly. So there's YouTubers that say, I'm going to put a GoPro on my head and I'll show you all these obstacles. That gives me vision for what I'm going to experience and so I know that I need to train. I know I need to work on my upper body strength. I need to train for all that. So you're like, well, Pastor James, why in the world would you do such a thing like that? You want to know why? Because I know that having a vision for a better in shape me is something I need to do as a father, uh, as as a person that's stewarding his body. Having a vision that challenges my limits, it's going to translate to other areas of my life. It's not just this race. It's, I know that God desires that I prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. 
So I can't neglect one area and just say one's good. I have to take him literal at his word. And so the race for me, it's a snapshot of life itself. It's a picture of running the race for the crown of life for the glory of God. So it's inspiring to me. So I picture in my mind doing well on that race. I'm, I'm 54, so there's an age category for us older guys. I picture myself being in the mix in my age group. I mean, that's what I'm aspiring to. I don't want to be the last guy to co- go across the finish line in that. I hope to beat some of the younger people. And uh, I picture myself high-fiving because there's this camaraderie with the other people that run the race. I can just see that. I've never run one of these, but I have already in my mind because I have a vision for it. And at the end, you get this cool medal. I'm going to get my picture taken. And so it's all, it's all has to be strong in my mind's eye. Why? Why do I want to see that? Because you know what? Today I made f- my daughter for breakfast the most delicious gluten-free chocolate chip buttery crispy waffles you've ever laid eyes on. Those aren't part of my training regimen. And so the vision to do well on this race, to, to, to drop some weight, to, to get rid of body fat, and to build muscle has to be stronger than what's right in front of me. Man, that thing looks good. It, one waffle won't hurt, will it? Yeah, yeah, it will. So, so I need to have that compelling vision. And that compelling vision says protein shake and eggs. That's what you need. You don't need the sugar and the carbs, okay? So another thing I'm preparing for, I'm preparing for a big van missions trip to Poland in January. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but I, I'm picturing in my mind that we'll have a pretty grueling itinerary. We'll probably do three, sometimes four concerts a day. We're going to be sitting on a tour bus uh, a lot, a long time, lots of boring trips across the whole, the whole nation of Poland. And I... And with the challenges, because you need to realistically see challenges in life, I'm seeing the venues filled with people who are so hungry for Jesus. People that need the gospel. People that will only show up because we're doing big band jazz. I know that's, hey, if that's not your thing, but they will come for that. And because of that, because we're playing gospel music and because we're doing it for the glory of God, I can engage in someone after the concert and talk to them about Jesus. I can pray for them. I can lay my hands on them. And so I'm preparing for this because it's a stressful thing, traveling on a plane overseas. You need to be physically fit just to do that. Um, To play my horn, I have to be on it several hours a day. I can't just show up, not practice. I won't be ready for it. I want the Lord to be pleased, and I want my effort to be effective. And so I'm doing all that. I'm envisioning that because I believe there's an intersection that happens between preparation an opportunity. Preparation and opportunity. And vision will help you prepare for the opportunity. And when that happens, then God will smile. And it's his time to bless you. And it's time for the anointing to fall. And so I, I'm not in charge of that. I can't make the Holy Spirit do anything. But I can prepare myself to be a vehicle and a vessel for him. And how many of you know you can flow a lot uh, 
stronger musicians when, you, when you're prepared. You're prepared. You, you know you're ready, and then you can just rest and the Lord do his thing. All this takes a vision, and the vision compels me to not watch TV with my family and to practice trombone for two hours, right? To get up early in the morning to run, to train, to go to the local playground and find some monkey bars and, and try to do a few pull-ups, right? This is what God's Word does. It gives us the whole and complete picture of our lives. It's laid out right there. If we honor and obey it, and it gives us the picture of our lives if we rebel and resist it. And I love that. Please, God, tell me what not to do. Please, God, show me what will happen if I don't do what you tell me to do. That is awesome. His word is full of prophetic visions, full of types, full of shadows. God's word is a visionary word. God is a visionary God. The Holy Spirit is a visionary Holy Spirit. Jesus is a visionary Jesus. So the question is, are we seeing what God sees? Or are we suffering from blurred vision? Do we have blind spots? Do we have distracting floaters? How many of you have those floaters? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, what is that? You can't really chase it. And they say it's something on the back of your eye that's projecting an image. Um, and are our eyes really even open? I love that. I guess it was a 90s song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That was a, that was a hot one back in the day. Should bring it back. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to. I want to know the truth. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. So, tiny, tiny, tiny little side trip here, and then I'll dig back into the heart of it. People mistake their personal dreams for vision, and I just want to warn you. That's that's. That's not the healthiest thing. People mistake the idealistic thinking or fantasies that they have with vision. They say, well, that's my dream, and I want to pursue that. And so, so that we don't fall into that trap, we need God's Word to filter, to create some kind of structure or, or prerequisite to, is this a God dream for my life? Is this a God vision for my life? Or is this something I shouldn't be pursuing? And I see it in the Christian ranks, too. Uh, find a dream, copy what the world's doing, try to find something in culture that will make you successful, then go back to the Word and find all the scriptures, the, the behold, I have a good plans for you, says the Lord, and kind of tack that on to our plans. And see, God's not in that. It's, it's backwards. And so we don't want to do that. We don't want to pursue success in the world. We, want to, we don't want to build backwards and then add Jesus. Jesus has to be the foundation and the word of God has to be the bottom line for everything that we're doing. Let's look in God's word and see where it'll take us tonight for the remainder of our time. Um, I'll get through as much of it as I can and, and that'll be, it'll be what it is. Proverbs 22, 3, New King James, a prudent man or a wise person foresees evil and hides himself but the simple pass on and are punished. So there's a foresight, there's a vision as to what's going to happen. And wisdom says, if there's something evil, I'm going to hide myself from that from happening. The amplified of that same verse says, a prudent and far-sighted, we have vision there, person sees the evil of sin and hides himself from it. But 
the naive, or you could say the foolish, or the simple, or the not wise, continue on and are punished. And punishment here by suffering the consequences of sin. It blows my mind that not following vision from the Lord, not having a vision, is equal to sin. Knowing that something could be harmful and pursuing that anyway, that's sin. What are the consequences of sin? Everyone should know this uh, here tonight. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So missing the mark, and that, you know, going to Greek words or whatever, but sin is basically missing God's mark, God's target, God's vision placed for you. So you can be off by a little or a lot, but it's all sin. Amen. It's all sin. So God shows us in his word clearly what is good, and we need to pursue that. James 4, 17. So for one who knows, listen, the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. It's that simple. Every day we make vision decisions. Is your vision focused on the right thing? Or is it distracted by all kinds of other things? So God shows us clearly what's good. And we have all these, every day you probably have a thousand and one opportunities to apply God's good will and perfect will to your life planning. And so we need to see, we need to have a vision of the future of our lives where good, according to God's word, is the path creator. So I'm going to carve a vision path Right now, one of my, one of my prerequisites, is it good in the eyes of the Lord? Okay? Not what is good in our own eyes. That'll get us in trouble every time. Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. And you know what happened next? Sin entered mankind because a personal vision was prioritized over God's vision. I have a plan for you, Adam and Eve. You will live a wonderful life in dominion and authority over all that I've given you. And I will make the decision what is good and evil. And I do not want you to take that upon yourself. And a moment she was convinced by the deceiver that it's fine. You need food. It's good. She was looking at it through her own vision, not the eyes of the Lord. Judges 21, 25, this is one of Pastor Jim's favorites. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. He quotes that often, and I love it. And so we don't have a king. Of course, we have a president. We, we do have a king and his name is Jesus. Can I just remind you of that? We have King Jesus. Uh, we're living in the New Testament post post-resurrection, believers. So I take that and overlay that to, to what our lives are now, and I would, I would describe it this way. When the Word of God, or, the, or King Jesus, Jesus is the Word, in the beginning was the Word, right? When King Jesus is not in ruling authority, or we somehow have become blinded to seeing him as ruling authority and walking in his truth, then what we do is what comes natural to us. We all do it. We sin, we feed our flesh, we have our temper tantrums, we make our bad decisions, and that's what happens. We do what is right in our own eyes. And see, this is, 
every day. It's personal vision without heavenly vision. It's personal vision without heavenly vision. Or you could say it's vision apart from God's law. Digging further on mis, the misguided steps of not having wisdom from the word entering into sin. Romans 14, 23, just the very end says, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. The truth of God's word should so clearly convict you and I, so clearly that we see plain the consequences of not pleasing the Lord. Are you in that place? Have, have you lost that place? Have you lost the fear of the Lord? I would, I would just invite you to, to get back, get back there. Because we need to see not only how it affects my life, but how it's going to affect those around me and how it's going to affect eternity. How many thousands of souls are we keeping out of eternity by making selfish decisions? That'll sober you up right there. And so Paul, not to decontextualize or, or exegetically uh, misapply something here, he was teaching, I believe, a very gracious view of the weaker believer um, who would be a new person to faith. And the situation was this. They were sacrificing idols, uh, food to idols, and then they, then, then they were sending them to the local butcher shop where you could buy your slice of whatever it was. And so he was, he was talking about this issue that if you, if you can do that in faith, you're not sinning. But I think he was being gracious to the newbie. And I think he was trying to say something to those who would know better. Because how many of you know, if you live in, in that area, they were going to be doing it. So you're probably going to eat food sacrificed to idols. And so I think he's saying here, if you really think you're that confident, you're going to somehow do that in the secrecy of your own home or walk out of the butcher shop and no one's going to see you or you're going to do it in some setting where you're not going to stumble someone else. You think you're happy as long as you're ignorant or naive, but once you're aware, the Holy Spirit will convict you. And these people were having this eternal wrestling match and people were getting all legalistic about it. And he said that there. But listen to what he says over in Galatians because I think he, he handles a similar issue in a more direct way. And I think it's where we need to be as far as our lives, getting vision from the word of God and, and staying far away from anything that would even come close to being a great area. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom. Hallelujah, we just cheer that. We just praise that as Americans. Bless God, we're free. Brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If I love my neighbor, if I love my fellow believer, I'm not going anywhere near anything that might look remotely like I'm compromising my integrity. I'm participating in something that is involved in the world. First Peter 2.16, he says it my favorite way, and I quote this all the time when someone's comes to me for counsel about an issue that they're, they're like, can I do this? I should be able to, right, I'm free. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And he goes on to really drive the nail, live as God's slaves. Are you a bondservant to Jesus? Is the vision he has for your life worth 
not doing all this worldly stuff that's, that's on the fringe, right? So any decision that leads to sin, this is where I'll come back to vision, is a visionless decision. We're not really seeing the way God sees it. And many times in our, vi- our visionless decisions, we, we read uh, the wages of sin is death, right? Well, you don't drop dead instantly. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira did, but I haven't heard of anyone doing that uh, lately. But it does kill things. It kills momentum in your life. See, God wants you to have momentum and be moving on a path. It will kill that progress he has for you. It will kill seed that's supposed to be in the ground and going to produce a harvest, right? We start making personal vision decisions that are against the vision God has for us. You don't know it, but you're starting to bring death. You're, hey, we live in a fallen world. Why invite more of it to rule in your life? They kill, they desensitize our hearts instead of a big, fleshy, tender, sensitive heart that just loves the Lord. It gets callous. It gets hard. The voice of our spirit man, instead of being the loudest voice, is a little hard to hear. Right? So that's what I'm talking about. It's that important. This is why God's word says, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. You die without vision because you're going to be sinning without God's vision. It says, the people cast off restraint. Okay? But I love the next verse. It says, but happy and blessed are those that do what? Keep the law. The law of the Lord, the word of God is vision for our life. I like to put it this way. God's word is our restraining order. Hey, I am happily restrained. I am happy. God, tell me if this is my road, I'll stay, stay on that. Because that's where blessing is, favor, protection, increase, direction. I don't need to go off over here. Just, just tell me where my yard is, Lord, and I will play in that quite happily. The grass might look greener over there, but it really isn't. I'm big into lawn care now, and if you ever want your lawn to look awesome, just get down really low and look at it at an angle like this because it hides all the bad spots. and it looks. Take all your photos that way too. See, when you walk and look straight down, you see all the dead stuff. So that was a pro tip for all you yard people like me. So praise God. Restraining order. Back to the notes here. We're, we're really not unlimited free moral agents that can just live as we please. We're actually bond servants to Christ, and we're constrained to live according to him as the revealed word of God. Now, I've heard people say this, and I've said this, and so it depends what seat you're in, but I've heard people say, I did not see that coming. Have you ever heard that? And sometimes in my internal monologue, which I try to keep internal most of the time, sometimes I don't do a good job of that and I have to repent, but I want to say, how could you not see that coming? Really? Like what criteria were, we, were you looking at? Have you read the Bible lately? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you... Are you blind to this? Like, what filters do you have? What is your criteria? I'm a big search engine guy. I like to go to Google and try to find stuff. Like, what, what did you type in that box? <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever had this situation? You lost something in your house, and you can't find it for the life of you. You're like, hey, honey, where's the blah, blah, blah? I, it's not here anywhere. They walk into the room and go, here you go. Has that happened to you? Has that happened to you? Why does that happen? 
our brain tells us something's not there that's clearly there. We have vision like sudden, sudden blocking. It's a mental problem. Now, in our house, and I would invite you to do this, if you lose something, the first thing you do is say, Holy Spirit, you know where that is. Show me where it is. You will find it. We find stuff all the time that way. You can look around. I've looked in the same cabinet five times. How dumb is that? It's not in there. Why are you opening it a fifth time? And then sometimes it's there. So our, our heads mess with us and our eyes uh, mess with us. I remember when I was a kid, real little, just the three kids and, and the dad, uh, we were all probably under 10 and we got out of the truck coming home from somewhere on a starry night and everyone was looking up and my dad's like, hey, there's the Big Dipper. And my brother and sister were like, yeah, the Big Dipper. And I was like, what, where? I don't see it. I don't see it. Where's the Big Dipper? You know why I didn't see the Big Dipper? Because I was looking for a spaceship. In my little kid imagination, and we were still in the Apollo space race going on, and I thought the Big Dipper was something in the sky that I was going to see flying. They didn't explain, oh no, it's just these tiny dots way up there, and it kind of loosely resembles the side of a gravy ladle, if you even know what that is. I had no clue. I didn't know what I was looking for. They saw it. I didn't. It helps to know what you're looking for, doesn't it? Helps to have a vision for what you're looking for. Sometimes we end up like the man Jesus healed who after he spit on him, try that in your next healing line, after he spit on him, said, I, no, I still, I just see people as trees walking. Sometimes we only have part of the revelation. Like our vision still needs to be healed. We're, we're not seeing clearly. We think well, Jesus spit on me. I should be good, right? No. We need to go back to him and say, not working. More, Lord. Touch me. And the second time, he touched him. Spit, then he touched. It's important. I want to pull something out. First, he spit on him. What does Paul say? We need to be renewed with the water of the word. Washing in the regeneration of the water of the word. Then he touched him. The presence of the Lord. The Word of God, the presence of God. We need both to clearly see. Amen? And so he does this miracle, and in context, it's in between two things that happen. Because it's just like Jesus to be trying to teach the disciples about seeing and then just do a miracle where, where he heals a blind guy. I think that's Amazing. Mark eight seventeen. Do you not yet comprehend or understand, you knuckleheads? Do you still have your heart hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? They were all in a tizzy about, is there bread, not bread, and what does this mean, da-da-da? And he's like, I'm the bread of life, you jokesters. And I'm doing it in front of you every day and you still haven't picked up on it. And so when we run our lives according to our plan without seeing his plan, it's just the same thing. So then Mark 8, 27, spits on the guy, touches the guy, guy's healed. Then he says, Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the way he questioned his disciples. Quiz time. Who do people say that I am? <laughs> 
Do you know? Have you, do you see? Do you see it yet? Do you have a vision for what the kingdom is like? And do you know what? He's going to keep asking you. And you better have the right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're my Lord. You're, you're my Savior. You're the Lion. You're the Lamb. So simply put, kind of summarizing all that I've said so far, a prudent person sees. Uh, prudence is an expression of wisdom. So we could say wisdom sees, Ephesians 1.18. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know. When your eyes are opened, then you know. You know, you have, you have revelation, right? It's not just I've learned that two plus two is four. I now, what I see in the Spirit, I know in the Spirit. Amen? So seeing, if we truly see, we truly know. So if we don't have vision, and we don't have a knowledge of the truth, or knowing which way to go, or how to conduct our lives, we aren't seeing Isaiah 30 and 20b and 21 says this, He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will see your teacher. Then your ears will hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or turn to the left. It starts with seeing. When the student's ready, the teacher appears. When we're not ready to be led by the Lord, guess what? We won't see him as our leader. Well, we aren't, we're not surrendering our lives. He, he doesn't have much uh, wiggle room there. It's like, hey, when you want to give me your life, then all of a sudden you're going to start seeing some amazing things. You're, you're going to start hearing some things. You're, you're going to get direction from me. Proverbs 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will advise you with my eye upon you. In Jeremiah 6, 16, this is what the Lord says. Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find a resting place for your souls. So I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to read a couple long passages now that kind of uh, get us deeper on this point. But we absolutely should have a clear vision of what not to do. We should, we should know that I don't want to end up in this situation. Proverbs 24, 30, 34. We can gain a lot of wisdom just by observing someone else's life mess. You know that, don't you? And it's, it's okay to look and say, okay, what are, what are the takeaways here? How did they end up like this? And how do I not end up like this? The writer of Proverbs says, I passed by the field of a lazy one. He immediately knows that this person is lazy not setting his hand to what he should be, a.k.a. foolish, and by the vineyard of a person lacking sense, lacking knowledge, lacking revelation of what his life should be. And behold, this is what I saw. It was completely overgrown with weeds. Its surface was covered with weeds, and its stone wall was even broken down. And when I saw it, so now here is vision. I take vision from someone else's mess. When I saw it, I reflected upon it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come like a drifter and your need like an armed man. So we need to get a vision from the destruction of others so we'll avoid 
the same outcome. Here's another good passage. It's, it's a little long, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into this. Proverbs 5, verse 1. He says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Look closely. I'm going to show you a picture of what not to do and where not to end up so that you may maintain discretion and your lips may comply with knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. She as a two-edged sword, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Verse 7, now then, my sons, listen to me and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned possessions will go to the house of a foreigner. He's driving the point home. And here's, here's the final, you really need to feel this pain here. And you will groan in the end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated instruction and my heart disdainfully rejected rebuke. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers nor incline my ear to inst my instructors. I was almost in total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. This is the adulterous woman. You can plug in anything that is not of God in there and get the same result. It's tempting to go near. I can just look at that a little, can't I? I can just maybe, maybe stand on the outskirts of that particular issue that God has said, I want you to steer clear from, right? Entertainment that pulls on a bad place in your soul. It's all seed taking you to a path of destruction. Stay far from it. So no vision from the teaching of God's word. If we don't have vision from God's word, eventually what started out in private will lead to public ruin. He said, total ruin in the midst of the assembly. So a little vision drift now, a huge shipwreck later. Fix it now. Fix it now. One preacher I heard years ago talked about this as borrowing pain from the future. I don't know that we want to necessarily feel that pain, but, uh, but the idea is have a picture for if I do what God says not to do, what kind of a mess am I going to make? What kind of a pain am I going to put my family through, uh, my church, my, my loved ones? You hear what I'm saying? What kind, of, what kind of ramifications for eternity? What kind of souls are, are going to be compromised? Don't you think the enemy uses all the spiritual leaders who have fallen to push people out of the kingdom? Because they're just like, see, it's all a bunch of nonsense. And so I don't need to follow the Lord. Those people are going to have that held to their account. And it's the same for all of us. So part of, and I'm using this word, you might have heard, visioneering. I didn't make it up. Andy Stanley wrote a book called Visioneering. Part of visioneering of our life should include all the warnings and prohibitions in God's word. You don't want to sit down and craft a vision that defies any of these things. That seems like common sense, but it happens. 
And so I would just call those, that's the, it paints the vision to avoid the don't go there. I would call them vision avoiders. You need to write a vision and say, as I pursue this path in life, this will not take place. I will avoid this. Make sense? Vision avoiders. And then also part of visioneering for our life should include all of God's commands, admonitions, and exhortations. So we would call those maybe vision essentials. So the big question to ask of your personal vision is, uh, is it based on seeing through the lens of God's word in every area, both the avoiders and the essentials. And so I'm going to go through a list, and I didn't, these are all scriptures, but I didn't do the address in the full scripture because we'd be here a long time. I just want us to, to, to go through here. And so, so, so this is a question I would ask of you. Does your personal vision prior to prioritize God's vision? So does your personal vision make sure that you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself? Are you able to do that fully and pursue this vision for your life? Uh, are you bearing much fruit with this vision? Or are you building your own kingdom? And Jesus said, fruit that remains. Lasting fruit. I don't know that that mansion on the hill is going to last forever. Right? Are you making disciples? Does your vision create disciples? In your vision, does it hinder you from assembling together? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves? I would question that. In, in, in your vision map, are you multiplying the gift God gave you? Or are you somehow hiding it? In your vision, are you living at peace with all men? Paul said, as much as possible, live at peace with all men as much as it is possible within you are you a minister of reconciliation through your personal vision are you desiring spiritual gifts are you finding ways to minister all the gifts of the holy spirit in everyday life are you despising prophecy the bible says despise not prophecy it's like ah that's just for that guy in the microphone on sunday morning absolutely not it's for you in your life are you maintaining the unity and the bond of the Spirit through your vision? Or is what you've created somehow creating havoc in the body of Christ? Are you led by the Spirit in your personal vision? We're to be led by the Spirit, right? Are you walking by faith? You guys are so quiet. It's a good quiet, right? It's a good quiet? Okay. Are you trusting in the Lord? Are you seeking first the kingdom? Here's a, here's a timely one. In the pursuit of your vision, are you still honoring authority? The laws of the land, the ones you like and the ones you don't like. And the only escape clause you have there is if authority asks you to do something that is directly against God's word, to sin against someone else that way. Uh, but there's a lot of room in there to honor the king. Uh, are you able to be salt and light? Or is that somehow diminished? Are you hiding? Are you able to live to the praise of his glory? Do you have a compelling vision that just releases you to live to the praise of his glory? Is your vision, is there room to lay hands on the sick and see them recover? Come on, somebody. Do you cast out demons? Does the very presence of you somewhere just cause demons to, ah, here he comes, I'm out of here. Like that should be part of your goal. Like, yeah, do the Excel spreadsheets, make your plans, but be full of the Spirit. 
Satan and all of hell should tremble wherever you go and whatever you do. Are you walking in authority and victory? Are you treating your body like the temple of the Holy Spirit? Are you glorifying God in your body? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you giving thanks in everything? Are you honoring the Lord with the tithe? Do you see how much is there in God's word to shape our vision and how much of what we think we should do could really just be put aside on the back burner and prioritize these things? A life not lived according to the word of God is a foolish one. You might have a compelling vision, but if it isn't God's vision, it's no good. A life lived according to the word of God demonstrates that we truly see and the world around us is truly blind. You're going to start feeling like you're the weirdo because the world's going to say, ah, you're blind, you're ignorant, you're, you're racist, you're hateful, you're unloving. And then you go, great. I must be doing something right. I must be walking out a biblical heaven-sent vision for my life if I'm such an irritation to these people. So here's the question tonight. For those listening, for those of you uh, watching the live stream and listening after the fact, just clear your head for a second. About to finish. So what do you need to refocus in your vision for your life? Maybe you just haven't thought about it for a while. And if nothing else, this message said, wow, man, I need to, I need to, I need to get back and, and dust off a vision and hear from God and ask him what he wants me to be doing. And that would be good if, if that's what you got out of this. Uh, what area needs an adjustment to your prescription? So these glasses are bifocals and I'm starting to think they're, they're losing their effectiveness and maybe I need to get it tweaked. Uh, so what part of your written plan needs to be thrown out and rewritten to conform to God's vision? Does what you call a vision for your life, for your family, your business, line up with God's word? Or do you have to do a lot of justification, a lot of wiggling around to go, well, in a way, this is this, and this scripture might connect to this. Don't do that. Are you taking a lot of liberty and is it actually cloaking some kind of sinful activity? Where do you need to repent? Where do you just need to say, God, I started looking at the wrong thing. I missed it. Just sing that song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Where do you need to refine? Where do you need to realign? Where do you need to refire? Where do you need to reignite? Where do you need to re-engage with God's vision? for your life. Hey, now is the time. The days are short. Jesus is coming soon. The race, it's laid out before us. We don't have time to be chasing squirrels and rabbits and, and every shiny object. We have to know. I know what God's called me to do. I see it, and I'm disciplining my life every second of every day to pursue that. And so for, for practical application, for practice, while you're seeking God for your compelling vision, always start with God's word as the anchor. I would encourage you to do this. Write down some foundational beliefs that serve as an anchor for your personal vision. Find out what biblical truths are passion points for you because there are certain things the Lord is going to highlight and go, you, you are are so motivated by justice. 
justice resonates, that could be a specific area where you would get involved. Discover your motivational gifts. We have the full teaching by Pastor Ralph on our website. If you haven't done that, go there. The whole video is there, right, still? And we have the the quiz, the test. You can take that and get your results. If those results are confusing, just reach out. We'll try to clearly help you see what those are. And then once you find that out, I would say if you're not already serving, use your gifts to serve in the church. Set a foundation here in the kingdom. If you're faithful here in the local church, the sky is the limit for what God will do outside of these doors. Then make sure you, you develop a vision map for your life that's eternal, regardless of vocation. Pastor Ralph touched on it very well Sunday about your work for the Lord and your work honors the Lord. So regardless of your hobbies or, or where you live, so many people I see making a decision like, I don't like this area because of this, so I'm moving. But did you ask God? Did you ask him, is that really his plan? Or did you just say, that seems to be the smartest thing to do, right? Honor the vision of Oiters and the, and the vision essentials. So you'll discover that somewhere... At the intersection of your God-imprinted passions, maybe you're a justice person, maybe, maybe you're, you, you have a heart for counseling, whatever it is, somewhere between that, you find those hot buttons and the context God has placed you in. You know, God wants to use you where you are. And you're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. The job you're in, it's on purpose. Uh, your daily routine, your path, where you drive, the people you interact with. So your passion and where God has called you to be, that's an intersection that ha it's a strong indicator of a vision for your life. So many people chase, oh, if I could just be a, a missionary in Africa or something like that. Hey, that's some people's call. But look for that intersection. And you know you're in seasons. I, I talked about that one time at length. So this is the season for you to decide what has God made me passionate about? What does God's word say? Where am I? And what can I do with that to, to create a vision and to see? Like See yourself here in, in 20 years, in 30 years. See what kind of impact you can have as a, as a legacy member of the Church of Grace and Peace, as, as, as a ministry multiplier in the Church of Grace and Peace, right? As somebody who's continually growing exponentially in, in their spiritual gifts and in their operation of ministry. Remember this, Joseph had a dream. He saw visions. He saw his future. Then he went through hell before it happened. He was betrayed. He became a slave. He was slandered. He was thrown in prison. There was so much pain and agony. But you know what? He didn't stop doing what God told him to do. He said, I see things. I see visions from the Lord. So I will, I will share that with you. And he didn't compromise. He didn't compromise. So eventually... God's plan came for his life. What if Joseph compromised? We wouldn't have the story in the Bible. What if he got mad and got vengeance on his brother? What if he climbed out of that well and just went back and murdered all of them? We might have that story in the Bible as what not to do. I don't know. So 
Maybe you think, well, I have a vision to have a carefree, trouble-free, no bumps, no bruises kind of existence. I'd say that's not of God. (laughs) Rather, realize that the tests you're going to go through on the vision God has for you are going to shape you and mold you and prepare you for where you're going. And there's really no end until we all see Jesus, right? So he knows the end from the beginning. His word shows us the end from the beginning. And we want his vision. Amen. How many of you want God's vision for your life? How many of you got anything out of that tonight? Praise God. Well, can I just pray uh, over this message for us tonight? Uh, and after I pray and you're released, there's, there, there'll be prayer workers at the altar. You can come get more prayer on this or for anything else that you need. So, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, admitting that we are, we are blind in our own ability. But through your word, we have 20-20 vision. We can see perfectly. Thank you that you know the end from the beginning. I pray tonight that as a result of this message, you begin to stir fresh vision in the hearts of the people that heard this message, the people at the Church of Grace and Peace. You begin to inspire and motivate. You begin to to show some folks the end from the beginning and give them a path, a disciplined path to make the changes necessary to head towards your preferred future for them, your destiny for every believer here. And I just believe that this vision, the vision of the Church of Grace and Peace, is in its infancy. It's only just begun, and the best is yet to come. And Lord, I say, open, open our eyes corporately to what you have for us. Uh, thank you for the seasons that you've brought us through, the seasons of trial, the seasons of challenge, the seasons of shaping. And God, I thank you that you're speaking to us now and that you're moving in us now and that you're telling us of the glorious things that you want to take place right here in this place. And so we open our eyes and we say, yes, Lord, we see what you see and we want what you want. And we dedicate our lives to sacrifice, to change, to discipline our lives, to put away the flesh, to to put under our own personal desires and dreams to see yours come to pass. And I thank you for the powerful unifying that you're going to do you're going to bring everyone together for this vision to come to pass. And so right now we renounce the plan of the enemy over the vision future of the Church of Grace and Peace. We say we reject you. We say return to sender. We don't accept it. We say no to strife, division, disunity, chaos. We say no to the devil's agenda. We say yes to the spirit of God. We say yes to the move of God. We say yes to the power of God. We say open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see clearly what you have for this church. We see these seats filled to capacity. We see people filled with the Holy Spirit. We see people being healed, saved, delivered miracles, signs, and wonders. We see this place as a house of prayer, fully passionate prayer going towards heaven on a constant basis. Lord, we're ready for whatever you have for us. I pray that we will be firmly founded in you, that even as the earth shakes, even as the world grows darker, that our light shines brighter, that the fire of this vision is hotter and larger and bigger than ever before. In Jesus' name I pray, and I thank you for it. Everyone who agreed with that said, Amen.